Hey there, fellow entrepreneurs. If you're tired of complicated domain management, I've got the solution for you, Hover.com. Hover makes registering and managing domains a breeze. Their clean interface and hassle-free experience will save you time and frustration. No upsells, no hidden fees, just straightforward domain services. Plus, Hover offers top-notch customer support. Make your life easier. Head over to foxcitiesmm.com hover and simplify your jo- domain journey today. You're listening to Fox City's Murder and Mayhem, your bi-weekly dose of true crime history in a small rural community of Wisconsin. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Fox City's Murder and Mayhem. I'm Eric. I'm Gavin. And we're back with another episode. Gavin's got like what looks like a printed out newspaper article it in is. front of him. It is, yep. So where are we venturing to today, Gavin? We are in Manitowoc. Manitowoc, huh? We haven't yep. been to Manitowoc in, in a while, I, I don't think. Yeah, it's... Well, at least in that area. I guess I don't even know if we've ever been to Manitowoc, per se. We probably have. But we've definitely I can't been keep to track, Sheboy huh? again. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. And we'll be back in Sheboygan <laughs> real soon. <laughs> <laughs> He's already got that planned. Yeah. Uh, so, before we, before we uh, start today, I always got to have a little... Disclaimer, little, or, little, or, or well, there is that as well. <laughs> there is that as well. Before the disclaimer, um, I want to I want to put it out there that today, the day we're recording, um, my very good friend Sarah Reed um, has a new short story collection out. Uh, it's called Root Rot. So if you like fantasy, horror, sci-fi type stories, uh, look for Root Rot. Uh, Sarah is a local Fox Cities author, so if you like this podcast, you probably live in the Fox Cities, and you should support your local authors. Um, by the time you hear this, it won't be out today, but it will have been out, so you can get it. And because Reed has multiple spellings, I believe Sarah's last name is R-E-I-D? No, she is. Th- that's a good point. It's she is R-E-A-D. Yeah, so she, she's read like wow, read a book. Yeah. Wow. So, so that was kind of set up in her life, man, that she was going to be an author, huh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I knew it was a weird spelling. So. Yeah. So definitely, if that's something you're interested in, check it out because it just came out today. I haven't read the stories, but I've read her other work, and I mean, I support her. I don't know. <laughs> I not just because she's my friend, because I mean, I'll crap on my friends all the time uh, but no she'd really check it out but anyway enough of that enough of that enough of that let's talk so about now murder for, no now we're talking about a disclaimer right yes do, do you have a disclaimer too there is a disclaimer <laughs> okay so again as usual if you're listening to this podcast i assume stories of murder and violence don't generally bother you if they do i don't know why you listen to true crime <laughs> that's not a good idea but for this one specifically, if you are offended or have personal uh, trauma related to the loss of a child, uh, specifically in childbirth um, or anything of that nature, um, this may not be for you because it, uh, it it's some very questionable taboo areas uh, related to that. So if you... If you have issues with violence to unborn children, <laughs> do not listen to this episode. Turn off the podcast. Yeah. Come back next week. <laughs> yes. Yes. 
But right. but if but if you're okay with that, then we'll <laughs> then we'll go ahead. All right. Well, let's go to Manitowoc and see what's going on here. We're going to Manitowoc. This episode is called Doctor Lewis Adams, and Doctor is in parentheses. It's not a real, real doctor. doctor. Oh God. Uh, so Lewis Adams, uh, he usually gave his birth date um, as August twenty fifth, nineteen hundred. Some sources say August twenty fifth, eighteen ninety seven, uh, which I think is more accurate. Not that it makes a big difference, but if you're concerned about his age, there is a three-year <laughs> gap uh, on what he says compared to what I think is the, the real age. Okay, is there going to be? Is this going to play into the story of not why re- he would lie about his age? No, not okay. really, not really. But if people are trying to get an idea of this guy, uh, I, I, I don't even know that his birth date is is a true story. So, <laughs> also, some sources say he was born in New York. Some say he was born in Poland. His father is definitely Polish. His father's last name was Adamski, and but all the children went by Adams because that's what you do when you've got a weird last name. You want to kind of make it sound more American. You change Adamski to Adams. So don't be fooled by that. He is not. Uh, he's not related to President John Adams. <laughs> he is not like that. He is. He is a Polish uh, son of Polish immigrants, or possibly one himself. Okay, so he grew up uh, in Manitowoc. In his early life, he worked as a hotel porter, which I believe is just basically a bellboy. Okay. You know, help people with their luggage and things like that. Um, Living with his family was also a contractor uh, who did carpentry work. So, you know, apparently they needed to have another guy living with them to help pay for the rent, that sort of thing. But already, by 1938... He is now in his 30s. He is involved in what is going to be his life's work. He performs an abortion on a young woman in January 1938 using some kind of surgical instruments that he obtained from places that I don't know and probably don't want to know. Okay, Um, now, before you move forward, just be, for everybody that's as stupid as me, uh-huh. 1938 abortion, illegal or legal? Very illegal. Okay. Very illegal. And and even if it were legal, he's not licensed to perform to medicine, <laughs> uh, to okay. perform surgery, so he shouldn't be doing that. He was He was fined $350 for doing this. The judge, Henry Detling, warned him. He said... We know this isn't your first time, and if you continue down this path, pretty soon you're probably going to find yourself facing a murder charge. That is the most far-seeing advice. (laughs) (laughs) You know, sometimes sometimes judges at sentencing will just say things because they're like, I really want to tell you how much this is not a good thing. But he nailed it. (laughs) He He nailed nailed it. it with this one. Um, shortly after that fine, that was he was fined uh, three hundred and fifty in the beginning of nineteen thirty eight. Uh, he leaves Manitowoc in February nineteen thirty eight on a short journey looking for a job that doesn't involve him doing illegal He's things. <laughs> uh, first, he goes to Grand Rapids, Michigan. Then he goes to Chicago. He ends up returning about two weeks later. I don't know if he knows this or not, but while he's on the road. They've issued another warrant for his arrest <laughs> because they found another another incident of him having done this thing he's not supposed to do. 
So in the second half of February 1938, when he comes back home, uh, Adams is arrested in Sheboygan and brought to the Manitowoc County Jail. Um, he was wanted for an abortion performed on 20-year-old Marianne Glashinsky, a Manitowoc bartender. I'm actually really surprised they printed her name, but they did. The charge was an automatic felony because Adams had two previous convictions on his record. He pleaded not guilty. The judge set a preliminary hearing. Adams said, I am not guilty. As far as a preliminary hearing is concerned, well, I won't waive it or anything. I'll see my attorney and he'll attend to all of that. The district attorney wanted a bond of $2,500. The judge set it at $2,000, but even at 2000 Adams couldn't afford it, so he was stuck in jail for a while. We find out at trial that Glashinsky had been brought to Adams' house in Manitowoc by a married man. The procedure seemed to be a success, but later Glashinsky went to Wausau to visit a sister for the holidays and began to hemorrhage. She was brought to a Wausau hospital and barely survived her time there. Walter Drews, the chief investigator for the state health department, pushed for charges. He had actually been following Adams' career for years. When the case went to the trial, um, they actually got the guy who brought her to the house to testify. Um, his name is Eric Rick. Like, What the, a name. Eric Rick, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so he, he testified... Um, that he brought her there and that he paid $25 for wow. the, for that service. Um, I am shocked they got him to testify. I don't know if they had him, you know, if they were threatening him with charges or something. Because if if I understand this correctly, like, this guy is married to somebody else. And he sounds like, I'm assuming he's the father. They never explicitly say that, but that's the way I read it. Yeah, that's also the way I would take it. Like... Like, the fact that he brought her there and paid for it implies that, that he's married and doesn't want a child with someone who's not his wife. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's the way I take it. So I am I am actually surprised they got him to come forward because he was clearly trying to cover this up. <laughs> uh, the doctor um, also testified to how serious the injuries were. You know, long story short, the jury found Adams guilty. In his own defense, he took the witness stand, which, you know, should almost never do. He opened himself up to questioning, and while on the stand, he had to admit to various things, including the fact that he's never had any medical training in his life. <laughs> uh, so again, even if this was legal, this is not the guy you want doing this. Adams was sentenced to two years in Wapan prison, um, and the judge stressed, he says, you know, this was a fair trial. Um, and even though we did everything we could to make it a fair trial, you still decided to go on the stand and, and probably lie under oath. <laughs> like you, you're digging your own hole here, man. So Adams is, uh, in Wapan, apparently uneventful in January, 1940, he's released, um, including the months that he had spent in jail waiting for trial. He actually served nearly the full two years, so I'm I'm kind of impressed that he got two years and they basically served two years. That's very unusual <laughs> on this podcast. Yeah. It, it seems like if he got two years, he should have never even gone to prison, right? <laughs> yeah, the way it kind of works. Kind of the way it works. 
Uh, so he gets out in January 1940. Later that same year, according to the 1940 census, um, he's working as a record clerk for the WPA, and his wife is a cook's helper at a restaurant. Um, and I would clarify because I know Eric's like, "What's the WPA?" Uh, the, the WPA is was a was a Great Depression era program called the Works Progress Administration, uh, and um, they basically it was the government paid people. Yeah, okay, to, I'm familiar with this. Okay, yeah. they yeah. like paid people to like build bridges and, and clean stuff. up parks, all kinds of random stuff. Kind of surprised that they would hire a convicted felon to work for that, but I guess everybody needed a job in the Depression, so that they may, <laughs> maybe they were more lenient about that sort of thing. I don't know. 1943, this is where I'm going to take out my printed-out news article. Before you go into the next part, so all the time he's committing all these, doing all these abortions and yeah. stuff, you, you mentioned his wife, so he's married this entire time yes, as well? Yes, he wow. is. He is, and his wife's fully aware of what he does. Okay, so that's weird. I mean, it seems like seems like people would have a big issue with that, but um, well, maybe. I mean, I would assume back in like abortion is not quite as stigma ridden as it is, but I'm imagining back in the 30s it was like a big, big no no. You just I didn't I, do I assume it. I assume yeah yeah and and it wasn't it wasn't great. I mean, because we're kind of a we'll take a detour here for a second. I mean, this guy is not a doctor. Mm -hmm. He apparently possesses surgical tools for some reason. But whatever he's doing is not the correct way, way to, to do, do it. it. Yeah. Because um, not that I know how to perform an abortion correctly, and I'm not going to talk about that on here <laughs> because I guess I, this, is, this is why, like, this is like the, we have to put the disclaimer because... I'm I'm presenting this lightheartedly because that's how I do podcasts. But obviously, I know for some people this is this is a very serious issue, mm -hmm. and I, I like this guy is basically making people bleed out to force their bodies into miscarrying. Like that is not proper okay, medical procedure. Yes. If if your if your medical training or lack thereof tells you the trick is to make people internally bleed that is not good, good yeah. <laughs> do not go to this guy yeah. <laughs> so whether you agree with with abortions or not um definitely i think we all agree this guy is bad yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so okay so yeah 1943 this is so it's been a it's been a few years um adams has not been caught for a few years and actually he'll he'll get about an eight-year run where he He's not in the news at all, so you know, good for him. I don't know what he's doing, but he's seems to be staying out of trouble. Well, that's good. So, but 1943. Here's a weird detour. Okay. Like I found this article, and this is the only article I found, which is why I don't have it like written up into it because there's clearly more to this story, but I don't have it. So I'm just gonna read this as it is in the paper. Okay. <clears throat> Rumors at a Milwaukee apartment hotel heard groans from one of the rooms Sunday morning, and an investigation resulted in finding Charles C. Rasmussen on the floor with knife wounds and Earl B. Adams, 20, son of Mr. and Mrs. Lewis Adams of Manitowoc, with his blood-soaked head cupped in his hands. He was removed to the hospital where his condition was such 
that he could not be questioned for hours after. Adams had returned from Camp Grant for a weekend visit with Rasmussen, who was a friend, and the pair had been out with two girls Saturday night. The girls said there had been no drinking or quarreling, and that the two left their and the two left at their homes at three AM. The two then went to Rasmussen's room. Rasmussen has a stab wound in the heart, and Adams had more than twenty cuts on his head. He kept mumbling that he didn't know why he had been attacked. Okay. There has to be follow-up news stories on this. There's no way this is the only story, but it's the only one I could find. Um, so if if that was not clear, there's this guy. His name is Earl Adams. He's 20. Um, he's apparently in the military because he's stationed at Camp Grant. Okay. He is the son of Lewis Adams, the focus of our story here. So this has nothing to do with Lewis Adams at all, but, like, what a weird thing to happen. Like... His son, like, is on, you know, furlough or whatever for the weekend. His friend is stabbed in the heart, and he's cut 20 times in the head. Like, they're presenting this as though somebody broke in and attacked them. It sounds to me like they attacked each other. Yeah, but, yeah, I could see that. But I don't know. There's no follow-up that I could find. I'm sure it's out there, but it wasn't easily searchable. So That is weird. So what what the truth of this story is, I don't know. If anybody out there feels like doing a little digging and sending it my way, I would appreciate it because I probably won't get to it anytime soon. But um, just throwing that out there, that there's there's other weird things going yeah, on yeah, in the just... Adams family besides <laughs> besides uh, this uh, abortion business. So yeah, just a short detour there. Okay, I don't know. you know what it's like. Come home from the military for the weekend. Weird things happen, you know. Yeah, I've, I've never really had that one happen to me. So no, so yeah. yeah. I guess maybe it's a, it's a life or military thing that the weird things like that happen. So yeah. But all right, <laughs> all right. So back to our focus. Back to our focus. Okay, so like I said, he's out of prison in 1940. Now he comes back into our attention in 1949. So good run, good run. March 23rd, 1949. Violet Johnson, uh, a married woman of age 43, died after receiving an operation from Lewis Adams with assistance from his wife, Emma. Wow. Yeah. Johnson was survived by two sons, age 13 and 18, as well as a husband who was an engineer on a Great Lakes freighter. Uh, His name was Philip Johnson. He is not really part of the story. Like, I don't know how far, like, this Great Lakes freighter travels, how long they're gone. Mm -hmm. But he doesn't come back at any point to, like, talk to the news or the police or anything. So I don't know what the deal is with that. But anyway, the operation had actually occurred in Manitowoc on March 4th, 1949. But it took 19 days before she finally bled out and died. Wow. Um... So that's great. And that sounds like it would just be an awful, awful way to go, right? Bleeding, internal bleeding for oh, like I'm 19 sure. days like that. Oh, that must have just been awful. I'm sure, yeah. So she um, she actually lived in Marinette. So she she went, got this thing done, and went home to Marinette. And just yeah, for the next two weeks, just was probably not living her best life. life no. Yeah. 
Um, so we find out what happens because she had been brought to Adams by her sister-in-law, a woman named Myrtle Perhesky. So Myrtle's still around to tell the story. And Myrtle says, yeah, brought her there. Um, this time it, it cost us $160. So his rates have gone up. It used to be 25 <laughs> no, now no, it's, it's 160 <laughs> um, Apparently his work isn't getting any better, but his, <laughs> but his rates go up. And apparently, like, Lewis was the guy doing the operation, but Emma would apparently, apparently, like, on occasion run to the kitchen, grab sponges or whatever it is that he needed. So um, she's not actively involved, but she definitely is fully aware of what's going on and and assisting. Okay, so the district attorney brings charges of third-degree murder against Lewis and Emma Adams. When the police arrive to arrest Adams... They found him hiding in his house's coal bin, which did not work. <laughs> they also found found in his house $7,600 in cash. Um, I did not do the adjustment on that. But $7,000 in 1949 is probably pretty decent money oh, to have yeah. laying around. Yeah. Does not mean that it all came from abortions. Though. No, 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 <laughs> I mean... no. No, it certainly doesn't, but... But it went from him not being able to pay his bail, where now he clearly has thousands of dollars. So mm-hmm. something has gone right for him at some point here. Exactly what, I don't know. Uh, there was a preliminary hearing, blah, blah, blah. His defense attorney asked for charges to be dismissed. That did not happen. But they did get the bail lower. This time the bail started at $15,000. They dropped it down to $10,000, which... um that's still that's pretty low because now this is this is not an abortion charge. This is now turned into a murder charge. It's a third degree murder charge. It's ten thousand dollars to walk free on murder. That's a pretty good deal. Uh, I'm not entirely clear if he's able to pay it or not. It seems like he is because they don't talk about him being in the jail. So apparently he was able to pay that. Mm-hmm. The case finally goes to trial nearly a year later. The star witness was the sister-in-law, who explained step-by-step what happened at the Adams house and about how she saw money being exchanged. I don't know if that makes any difference as far as the murder is concerned, but definitely explaining exactly what had happened. And the sister-in-law is the victim's sister-in-law. Correct. The victim's sister-in-law. Yes. Just want to clarify. They got Dr. Charles Kipp of Marinette, who testified that uh, he was at the autopsy and they found blood clots in both lungs of Violent Johnson, and in his opinion, a blood clot in the right lung was the direct cause of death, and that clot, he said, was caused by an abortion. Adams' defense attorney said that Johnson had asked for the abortion, and he actually turned it down. They said, what you saw was not what actually happened. They went in for a consultation. Adams said, I can't do it. When you go back out there, don't tell your sister-in-law that I can't do it. Just pretend that I did it. This was not a very believable Wait, defense. Wait, I'm, like, I'm confused, okay? <laughs> <clears throat> so, so his defense is that she went into this other room, whatever room they used for this, the surgery, pretended to do the operation, and then left at, so the sister-in-law would think that they had done it. Wow, this does not sound very... The, the 
grasping at straws to say the least, right? Yeah. <laughs> to, yeah. It's all... that's you know there's there's some good defenses you can use. I I think saying that the whole thing was an act is not a great defense. <laughs> defense yeah. And I don't know like you know there's a lot of details that didn't get printed because the newspapers were obviously very sensitive about this type of thing. It's kind of funny how papers like balance like this. Sometimes the papers are very like over the top. Like when people used to commit suicide, the papers were overly gruesome and graphic. But I think they're sensitive to this issue and they didn't want to explain more than they had to. But me not knowing the details, I feel like the correct way to have a defense against this is to say she didn't die for over two weeks later. She died of a blood clot in her lungs. How can you prove the blood clot was caused by an operation two weeks ago? I'm not saying it didn't. I I don't doubt that that's probably Probably what it did. Probably related. (laughs) But I feel like there's there's a reasonable argument to be made there that there's a big difference between something you did one day and a blood clot two weeks later. And and keeping in mind too that. On top of that, it's much stronger of a of a de- defense that hey, you can't prove that this was done by the, the abortion. It's much str- much stronger in the forties than it is today because they have such so much less technology to yeah. tell them what could have caused that death. So right, well, and that's what I'm saying. Like, I think they could they could reasonably get him for for performing an abortion. I think, like, despite his goofy story. I think it's pretty clear that's what he did. <laughs> but the death to me, like, again, not saying he didn't he didn't kill her, because I'm pretty sure he did, but I feel like you could make a reasonable medical case that maybe she was already prone to blood clots, you know? Mm. I don't know. But regardless, a jury of six men and six women deliberated for four hours. What do you suppose they decided? I would assume that they would find him guilty. They did. Yeah. They did find him guilty. Now, there was there was a a thing here where they actually let his wife go. They dismissed charges against her. Okay. So she's 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 clear. But yes, he was found guilty. Now, an interesting twist here is that the judge in this case is Judge Detling, and Judge Detling is the same judge. In the beginning of the story, <laughs> who's like, someday you're going to get charged with murder. <laughs> so, like, I don't know if he remembered that. But if he did, he's probably like, yep. What did I is. tell you was going to happen, yep. man? <laughs> so, there you go. The judge decided to give him a 10-year sentence in Wapan, which... Um, he could face a maximum of 14 years for, for the charge. So 10 years is decent. Mm-hmm. Um, Adams appealed, and actually, um, a little bit later, the Wisconsin Supreme Court agreed with Adams and ordered a new trial. Now, what, what Adams had argued was that they had entered in too much information on his past convictions. Oh. And... The Supreme Court agreed with that. Uh, The quote from Justice Edward Gale says, This court has consistently held that proof of a former conviction of a defendant in a criminal action may be received, but nothing except the mere fact of the conviction may be shown. 
um, which uh, to translate that into English uh, means like to some degree you can enter in like previous arrests or previous con- convictions that a person has had, but you can't do it to the point where it's actually going to sway right the opinion of the jury. And I you don't can know- mention that you've had this history, but you can, you half a year to. Half of your pr- prosecution can't be the fact that he's done this before, so he must have done it again. Right. Basically, it's, it's a like, weird it's a weird balance because if you're trying to get a guy for abortions and you say, we know you've done abortions in the past, yeah, that makes sense that you would do it again. But you have to be careful in how you present it because you can do it the other way too, where say somebody had an abortion performed on them. They didn't know who. They arrested this guy, and he didn't do it. He's just some guy they knew who used to perform abortions. They go to trial, and they're like, here's one you did, here's one you did, here's one you did. The jury's going to hear that, and they're going to be like, seems like the kind of guy who would do that. Yeah. You know, that's not a fair way to put someone on trial, (laughs) because there's nothing connecting him to this thing. So um, I'm just using that as an example, because I don't know specifically how much was brought out and what was brought out at at this trial. But the Supreme Court did decide that apparently it was too much. Um, so they sent it back for a new trial. So I'm assuming this this guy must have gotten a new lawyer for his uh, appeal. Probably. Because his defense was terrible. His defense was terrible. But honestly, his his appeal was rather brilliant. I mean, yes. it was well thought out and a legit way to get himself a new trial. So Yes. So at the second trial, he was convicted again, but apparently had a much better defense the second time. Because instead of the the possible 14 years and the 10 years that he got, he was only given three years. He was out in less than two years and then released from parole less than a year after that. Shortly after his release, he moved to California. Get the heck out of there. (laughs) One final thing that happened to him in May 1956 just a couple years after he's out and moved to California, Adams was swept up in the Mark Catlin parole scandal. Um, Along with more notorious criminals like Louis Fazio, Americo DePito, etc., Adams had paid Catlin $1,000 to assist in his parole. Um, To remind people, we've covered this on here before, uh, Mark Catlin was a state, I think, senator, but maybe state assemblyman, but anyway, a state politician, and he would help people in prison get paroles for a fee. And he was really careful about how he did it, where he never explicitly said that he was being friendly with the governor and other people, but everybody kind of knew that he was friends with the governor. So um, it turned to be a big scandal where this guy is getting paid rather large fees, but he was successful. So... He ends up relatively getting in little trouble at, at the end of it, but um, there's a definite implication there that these fees somehow translate into him having extra influence on the governor and other people that can get paroles. Anyway, so Lewis Adams is another one of these guys' clients. He paid the $1,000, but Adams writes out an affidavit and how honest Lewis Adams is, I have no idea. Uh, But he writes out an affidavit saying, at no time did Catlin promise me that he was going to talk to a governor. He never mentioned that he had influence like that. I just thought he was going to be a good attorney to hire. 
Um, so so, so they didn't so get in any trouble for the, that one. Was the this guy his attorney during not like, the appeal? No, not the appeal. Not this the was... appeal. Just to just to get out of prison earlier. Just, okay. just to help him through the okay, parole okay, process. Okay, okay, I see. So once he w- got that three-year sentence the second time around, then he hired this guy to get him out earlier. Yeah, and okay. if people want to track down that earlier episode, uh, I mean, you look up Mark Catlin. I think that's like the name of the episode is the Mark Catlin episode. And, and I go into that a little bit more about how technically you're not even supposed to have an attorney when you're applying for parole <laughs> um, because there's there's not like a – there's not a trial situation. You're not debating it with anybody. So there's like, you go before the parole board and they look at your record. That's it. Mm-hmm. There's not supposed to be any legal stuff at all. So the whole thing is kind of shady. But according to Lewis Adams, he didn't expect any shady, anything <laughs> shady, shady to go happen. on. He just thought, I'm going to pay for this guy because he's good and he'll help. And he did. Interesting. What he did in California, I don't know because never came up in the news again, and he passed away peacefully in Los Angeles in 1972. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Woof. So now, now the interesting question that comes up is how many people like this could you find in history? Because I'm like sure that, this. Yeah. Well, that would that was that was what they did. They can, did illegal abortions. I bet you. Back in those days, man, that wasn't very uncommon. <laughs> well, you know. No. I can speak to that a little bit because this is something that comes up in like the organized crime mafia stuff. Because the the mafia guys who are also involved in prostitution generally know a guy who does this sort of thing. Paying. Right. Because one of the side effects of prostitution <laughs> Sometimes you get pregnant, <laughs> and generally speaking, you don't want that baby. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I know this is this is not a fun topic. This is not something that some people really want to hear a lot about. But again, I'm going to keep it as light as I can. The cases that I know of there, they generally hire real doctors. Okay. So it wasn't legal for the doctors to do, do it, it either, but they at least knew what they were doing. Doing. Right. Yeah. Well, in theory, they knew what they were doing because I'm pretty sure you didn't go to medical school and get taught how to do an abortion. But no. you're probably a lot better, safer having a doctor do it than some guy. No, I don't think they were specifically taught how to do abortions. But if, if you go to like a an OBGYN or whatever the equivalent of that was at the time, I don't know if that was what they were called. But I mean, but they know. They understand. They know how. the parts that they're looking at and how to make a... Things yeah. things work the way they're supposed to work or not work the way they're supposed to work. I mean, they're not just going around cutting things. Like, so um, it's it's a better move. That and hopefully they have something with them, like like anesthesia or something. Um, better than going to some guy's kitchen. Right. And, and it also sounds like this guy just kind of commi- did the surgery and said, okay, have a good day. You know, yeah. Wait, best of luck to you. Yeah, if they, if they were lucky, maybe they got a bottle of Advil. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and really, you should probably following up. Like, how does how are you feeling after it? Does anything yeah. feel wrong? Blah blah blah. But he's not a doctor, so yeah. But he can't help with that. So yeah. So then I'm curious. So and, yeah, maybe and, we'll maybe we'll tell that story on the Milwaukee Mafia podcast someday. Because yeah, there was a doctor who got in some serious trouble for that. 
um, out of Beloit. He was working yeah. working with the guys doing that. Uh, okay. Yeah. So the other thing... Good way I, to lose your medical license, <laughs> tell you that. The other thing that I found interesting is, is that you had mentioned that he had $7,000 or something in his possession at the time when they picked him up yeah. or whatever. So now we don't have any evidence of this, but are are you reading into that in the sense that he's probably been doing this the whole time and this is just the first time he had a problem? You know, because there was that eight-year span. I don't where, know if I'm reading that into it, but I would be shocked if he wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. It, it just doesn't seem like something after eight years, you just suddenly like, oh, well, yeah, I guess I can do if another people, abortion. So he li- he <laughs> lives know? in Manitowoc. If people from Sheboygan and Marinette and everywhere else are coming to him, he's, he's apparently a known guy. Guy, yeah. yeah. Like, I don't know why you would go to this guy because, <laughs> like, the things he's known for publicly are not good. Um, but he's apparently somebody that they talk. And I think originally, like, when he's working as the hotel porter, like, I would have to see more of the details, but I got the impression. That that's kind of how we got into it, because there might have been people who were like coming to that hotel, and it might not have been, you know, uh, there might have been some kind of shady business going on there. I don't know, but that's kind of how I feel like he got into, into it was through that hotel. But I don't know, and this is this is one of those, you know, sometimes you'll hear me say this on here, like sometimes it's like, okay, we're we're done. Other times I'm like, maybe this one needs more explanation, and this is a more explanation episode. Because now that I know a lot of these court records still exist, this is the kind of guy where I'd love to pull these court records. Mm-hmm. Because what I'm getting in the paper is enough for a story. It, it, I think this episode's fine. But there's certain things I'm really curious sure. about. Yeah. And there's certain things that I don't know that I'd be comfortable saying on the air, but I'd still like to read them. Mm-hmm. Because I'd like to know, like, what are these surgical instruments he's using? I would love specifically to be told, you know, does that just mean he owns a scalpel? I mean, or does he actually have like a speculum or something? And all the guys at home are like, what the hell is a speculum? Uh, but uh, anyway, Eric's like, what's a speculum? No, Eric probably knows what a speculum is. Actually, I don't. So. Oh, do you want to know? Is it the, like the thing that? What was that? What was Dude, that move? Go ahead, tell me what it is. Well, I th- I think it looks like a duck head, um, and it and it's like if you squeeze the handle, it opens up like the duck's beak. Yeah, and you can stick a flashlight in the back and see. In- yeah. Okay. Inside- I think, yeah. Uh, that's okay. kind of what I think I'm envisioning. Okay. So now everyone now everyone's like really <laughs> like you can talk about abortions all you want, but now it's talking about gynecology. Gross. Well, and the other thing I find really interesting about this is he has no medical training, so. How does one learn, I mean, learn how to do an abortion? Do they just... I don't know. You know what I mean? Do, do do you just try it one day and it works and you're like, okay, well, I guess I kind of re, maybe refine my craft a little bit. I mean... I don't have a clue because I will tell you this. I probably have better ideas about female anatomy than the average guy did in the 1930s and 1940s. And you have no idea how to do it. Oh, I I wouldn't want to even (laughs) attempt it. Yeah. No. Like, if it's a life or death situation, I still don't want anything (laughs) to do do with with that. that. No. So, yeah, I don't know how you just decide, like, one day, I'm going to probe around and learn how to do it. Like, no. Yeah, like, like... 
where do you get that training? Because it's illegal. So obviously there's not a school you go to. And I mean, I guess you just know a guy who knows a guy or what, something like that. I don't it's know. Weird. But like I said, that's things like that are very interesting to me because they're not publicly like known. I'd love to hear if, if the testimony actually goes into how he got into this. What is he using? Mm-hmm. Why do people know who he is? You know, there's, I feel like there's a whole lot more going on here. Um, that would like kind of get a better idea of not just this guy, but the whole scene at the time, because right. because like this is the, this is the sad truth of the matter. Like again, whether people agree with abortions or not, and I know again it's super controversial, which is why I'm trying to keep this as light as possible. Like whether they're legal or not, they happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like this is a thing that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully not like this anymore, right. but. But it's a thing that happens, and it's like, I, I'm so curious about how this worked when it was all underground and you couldn't talk about it. Exactly, and you think about it. So somebody, the the last person, the person he got convicted of actual murder for was from Marinette. For our listeners that don't know, Marinette is probably two, at least two hours, probably three hours away from uh, oh, Manitowoc. I wouldn't say it's that far. Isn't it? Well, I don't think so. Okay, but it's at least an hour and a half. Possibly. Yeah. Yeah. So the point is, is these are not nearby cities to each other. No, it's not. So, so like, how is he getting his name out? Like, right. Like, I mean, I, I'm trying to envision the marketing plan for an underground abortion clinic. I know. That's the thing. And, and they're like, what do you do? Do you run an ad in the newspaper and there's, like, secret words that people just know that this guy's doing abortions? I don't or know. how do they do that? I just... I don't know. It's very fascinating to me. Yeah, and that's exactly why this one is one I'd like to know more about because I think that there's, you know, maybe maybe there's like actual books out there that explain this. I mean, I'm sure people have researched it, but but I don't know, and I I'd be really curious how this gets around. So um, maybe this is one we'll return to someday if we don't get tons of hate mail because we're doing an abortion <laughs> yeah. story. Um, it's the only abortion story I have besides that that mob one I was mentioning. So um, probably not a topic that we'll do again, but and definitely it's something I think is worthy of a murder and mayhem podcast. And, you know, you did also say that, you know, you hope abortion isn't happening this way today. But well, I hope not. I, I, I as well do, and I hope, definitely think it is not. But just keep in mind that we just did make abortion illegal in the state of Wisconsin again, correct? Yeah, that's a that's a debatable point. Well, technically I believe it's supposed to be. So Yeah. We could be heading back to this kind of Maybe. World, you know? Yeah. Which I don't have the legal expertise to to get into that because I really don't know. But my understanding is that it was it was again made illegal. But then they found a loophole and they started doing it again anyway. Oh, okay. So me, I know that it. I knew that if that ever, whatever it was, Roe v. versus Wade was. Yeah, ever, yeah, yeah. If that ever got turned, it was my understanding it was going to be illegal in the state of Wisconsin. It was. I never followed it far enough. Maybe they did find a loophole. It was, they, but but my understanding is recent. Like I mean, recently, recently, last couple of months, they they found a loophole and they're going to do it again until somebody actually gets, you know in trouble for it so they can work it back up the courts again. Um, but I don't know, the, I don't know the details on that. And I am, I, my, 
I understand the law fairly well, but not to the point where like I'm like reading into these hundred year old <laughs> statutes and I, I, so I can't I can't discuss it on that level. I'm not a I'm not a uh, licensed attorney, so uh, so I can't really talk about things in that level of detail. Um, right, but, but I but I guess the point of me saying that is is that okay, whether it's illegal in Wisconsin or not, we are moving to, in a direction where it could become illegal again. And these are the things that well, you generally open. speaking, it's a lot more illegal in the United States now than it was a year right. or two ago. Yeah, yeah. So we're heading back to the a world where we're opening it up to this kind of abortion, like yeah. you said earlier. Regardless of the you're legality, trying to get me in trouble. <laughs> regardless of the legality of it, people are going to do this, and I'm I trying to be as uncontroversial <laughs> as possible. I'm not. Don't don't trick me into making political statements. So, but with that, we'll leave that be. I just think that that's an important thing to mention. Yeah. You know, regardless of how you feel about it. Yeah. So, but with that, we'll just wrap this episode. Yeah. Uh, how do you like that? Yeah, that got, that got weird. <laughs> so, but okay. Uh, yeah. So I, I'm not a hundred percent on what next time is. I do have a Sheboygan story. It may be next. Um, I've also got a Christmas story that, uh, I'd like to tell. So I guess we have to check the release schedule and see how close to Christmas we're getting. Because I'd like to save that one for, for Christmas. Well, I I was under the understanding that we were taking December off. Yeah, well. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll see. Okay. More on that then, because uh, th- this was my understanding that we weren't going to do new episodes for Christmas so, or for December. But... But we'll talk about that offline. Yeah, okay, okay. Well, so. maybe maybe we'll get it. Maybe we'll do it for Thanksgiving then. So with that, we'll wrap this episode up. We thank everybody for tuning in. We'll see you on the next one. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to Fox City's Murder and Mayhem. Join us in two weeks for another exciting episode of Murder and Mayhem.